Welcome to Radio. I'm Shay Kuna. Today's short story comes from R.A. Hollitz. In his work, two children confined to a laboratory struggle to make sense of a world where the best days are spent in a cell. I present to you, Drive. State your name. The voice came from the wall, a speaker. It was all that shook the room of white, of its cold indifference, each spoken raising the hairs on the young boy's skin. The boy thought, his name. What was his name? He had one, he, he knew he did. He cocked his head to the side, thinking intently on the demand. The boy of red hair and red eyes pondered and pondered. The voice spoke again. State your name. Ryok, the boy responded at last. To be honest, he wasn't quite sure himself if the name he spoke was right. There was something off about it, something intrusive about it. But it was the one he chose. Ryok tilted his head to the other side, expressionless. Yes, Ryok was his name. A sudden light shone above the boy, directing his immediate attention. He stared at the light for a few seconds as if seeing it for the first time. When his eyes began to hurt, he looked away rubbing them with his knuckles. The room was clearer now, if only a bit. There was little to stare at. Tiles of white littered the room in perfect squares. Up above was a large megaphone from which the voice spoke, also colored a dreary white. As if frozen in time, the cool, motionless air surrounded the boy, mitigated slightly by the lamp above. Ryok clung to the heat it brought, and found himself periodically looking back at the light for any semblance of hope, or change. His mind drifted once more, his fingers and toes curling in desperation for warmth. Very good, the voice spoke. Do you know why you are here? Ryok nodded. Can you tell me? Ryok opened his voice to speak, shut it, then opened again. Why was it that he couldn't remember? They had just discussed this yesterday. He bowed his head and thought. What was it that he forgot? It was on the tip of his tongue. Looking back up at the megaphone, he shook his head. Why not? Because I can't remember, he said easily. There was a pause, and for a moment the boy swore he heard a chuckle. And then, through a hiss, the voice spoke one last time. That's a shame. A lever clicked and the lamp went dark. The boy gasped at the pitch-black room, his head turning every which way to find some sign of light some sign of an exit. There was nothing, just the icy cold air and the inescapable darkness. What was it he did wrong? Was it something he said? Right, it must have been, because he couldn't remember why he was here. Th there was a reason he was here. He knew why he was here. Of course he did. D didn't he? Uh, of course, if he, if he could just remember, then the light would return. The men in white coats would be proud, applaud him for his effort, and then he would be escorted back to his room. The boy clapped his hands to his long Arlesian ears and kneeled down, furrowing his brow in focus. Remember, 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 he chanted the phrase over and over aloud. Each time he thought he was getting closer, the memory would escape him, like a light that he couldn't quite run fast enough to catch. He shook his head again, and just as he was about to repeat his chant, something happened. A cool, slimy hand rested itself on his shoulder. Although he couldn't see it, 
Ryan could feel the drop of goo plummeting from the creature's fingers and onto the floor. As it pooled beside him, the fluid began to glow with an eerie iridescence. Grateful for the position he was already seated in, Ryok leapt away and rolled forward onto his feet. He darted back around and swept his hand through the air in a single motion. Flames trailed from his fingers, streaking through the air in a flash of light. For one brief moment, he caught an image of the creature. It was shaped like a human, covered in iridescent flesh and inching closer with a wet and sloppy noise. Ryok brought his hands close to his chest and cupped them together. Focus. Focus. He did it before he could do it again. Fire could do it. Fire could vanquish this creature, evaporate it into nothingness, tear every fiber of his existence apart. In its part to destroy, it would protect. Sparks flew when the boy grew impatient with the creature nearing. Focus! He screamed as loud as he could, and just above his hand, a flame flickered to life. Ryok grinned. Confidence surging through him, he looked up, ready to face the beast. Inches away from him was a face. At least, it had to be if this was where its head was. It was shaped like a flower that hadn't quite bloomed yet. Lines segmented the bud into four parts. There were no eyes, there were no ears, there wasn't even a mouth as far as he could tell. Ryok froze to the spot, paralyzed by fear. The creature clicked and whined, tilting its head side to side. Then... The flower bloomed. The creature's face split apart, each petal lined with dozens of pointed inward teeth. Within the center was a deep, dark hole. Inside the hole were seemingly endless rows of gleaming white teeth. They rotated within the cylinder, speeding up as the creature neared the boy. A glob of its skin dropped into Ryok's palm, extinguishing the flame he had worked so hard to create. There was a scream, a muffle, and soon all that could be heard was the sound of crunching bone and flayed flesh. Ryok shot up in his bed, his sheets soaked in sweat and bunched between his fingers in a vice. He turned to look around his room. Nothing. It was undoubtedly the same room he'd always known. The chrome faucet leaked, droplets of water just barely audible to the air. White as chalk, the toilet sat in the corner, and at the foot of his bed was a single book, one on the theory and practicality of alloy technology a topic he had grown increasingly more interested in, much to the dismay of the white coats. Yes, there was no one here. No thing here. Just him, his book, and the leaky faucet. The boy's breathing slowed as the seconds passed, and he pulled his knees close to his chest, wrapping his arms around them. Despite their imaginary existence, very little had ever felt so real. He didn't simply dream. He lived within his mind. So vivid and lucid, it took a great deal of time, sometimes weeks, before he could forget the nightmare. It felt like deja vu, only stronger. For as long as he could remember, they never let up. No matter what he did, where he went, or how he felt, he could be sure that the nightmares would follow like the lurking shadow that would wait until the lights were off. When they were at their strongest, and could feed upon his mind without restraint. He bowed his head forward and allowed himself to sob. For all the hells and trials the white coats put him through, he had at least allowed this one moment of weakness to overtake him and remind him that he still had feelings. That somewhere in that small ten-year-old body of his was a living, breathing person, even if the white coats couldn't quite see it. Ryok sniffed and brushed at the corners of his eyes. The lights above him flickered a couple of times before a bright, white light washed over his room. 
Observing him was a camera attached to the ceiling. It whirred as it turned to look at him and adjusted its lens, angling downward slightly. He fought back the urge to blast the mechanical voyeur into smithereens. He'd learned from past experience that taking away their precious toys meant suffering through hours of torture that paralleled the Stone Ages. A part of him took pride in knowing he'd upset them, that even inside this little box they called a room, there was still a way to piss them off. Maybe he would do it again some other day, but today was about the worst day possible to try. Once a month, there was a test called the exam. He snide, nose-up in the air term for what was just combat training. What was his combat training for? Ryok had no idea, and after a while he no longer cared. The whens, the whys, the hows, none of it mattered. Even if he discovered them, even if he was able to gleam some sort of reasoning behind their atrocious acts, what would he do with them? Use them as a crutch to explain why what they were doing was wrong? Stand up on a soapbox in front of dozens of white coats and attempt to refute them? Fruitless. Utterly pointless. All that mattered was performing well on the exam. If one did well enough, then it meant they could go back to their cell and sing happily to themselves that they avoided punishment for another month. That was a big if. In a cell tucked away in another block of the compound was a lone girl by the name of Samantha. Eleven years of age, her hair was a vibrant brown, her eyes the color of chocolate. Her room varied no differently from that of Ryok's. Well, save for the books piled up at the foot of her bed. Snoring away to a slumber of pure bliss, the young girl's eyes snapped open halfway. They remained that way for a time, her mind making its slow arrival back to reality. She blinked twice, then rubbed her eyes. Sprawled out on her back, her leg swung off to the side, a preventative measure she had taught herself to keep from waking up on the ground. There was a story to every bruise she obtained that way, and had grown tired of recounting them to Jennifer. Samantha lifted her leg up onto the bed and sat cross-legged. She stayed that way for a time, staring ahead to the clock on her nightstand. Her and Jennifer called it a nightstand, but it was just a nice name for a wooden stool. The clock read 7.29 a.m., a minute before she was due to wake. Samantha was unsure how to feel. A part of her was glad she woke up before the alarm's loud blaring ring could pull her away from her slumber. On the other hand, even a minute more sleep sounded good to her. The Varathian girl ran a hand of sharp pointed fingers through her mess of hair and looked at the mirror to her left. Her stare fixated on the wolf-like ears atop her head. For how many things they held in common, humans sure had a tendency to focus on what made them different. Not in a good way, either. Samantha looked away and readjusted, the bushy brown tail at the end of her tailbone another painful reminder of her Varathian heritage. Sometimes she envied Ryok. Arlesians weren't unlike humans. Save for the pointed ears, he looked no different from that of the humans. Put on the right clothes or wear the right hat, and he could even hide them if he wanted to. Blending in wouldn't be a problem. Not for him. The sound of the alarm clock broke Samantha from her train of thought. It started low and picked up pace, urging Samantha to move. Crawling on all fours, she raced to the edge of her bed and snatched up the alarm, its noise growing in intensity. Samantha growled at the box in her hands, and despite what she had been told, did what no girl her age should be able to do. She crushed it between her hands like a vice. She had done it with such ease, such speed, 
the clock never had time to make any sounds save for a single crunch. Samantha's breath quickened at the realization of what she'd just done. Her skin tingled at the thought of being electrocuted again. Those cold, calculating, uncaring eyes, ever staring, completely unaffected by the ear-piercing screams of a girl in pain. Of all the days she could have done this, why did she pick today? She pulled her hands apart, freeing her victim. Jagged, bent shapes of metal and plastic dropped onto her bedsheets. Following them was a single drop of blood. Her blood. A transparent shard of plastic was sticking out of her palm. It didn't hurt. Not much, anyway. Samantha pulled the piece out without a second thought, bowing her head and slumping her shoulders. I should have just turned it off, she whispered. There were three features to the exam. Power, speed, and stamina. For each part of the test, you had to show you could demonstrate proper control of each attribute and apply it to the situation. Of the three, stamina was most certainly the most important. Power and speed meant nothing if you fainted halfway through the test, and there wasn't a person watching who wasn't writing down every success and failure. With stamina being the most important attribute to focus on, some months were harder than others due to ambiguity and vague statements, until you stepped into that cold, unfeeling room and read your number on the wall, it was anyone's guess just how many tests you would have to go through. Even so, there was no way to tell just how extreme each test would be. It wasn't uncommon to receive, say, the number five, and two out of the five tests were simple target practice. This made it difficult to gauge just how much energy you could safely expend. It was a race paced like a marathon, with no discernible finish line. The door to Ryok's room slid open with a hiss. Still seated on his bed with his hands on the edge, looked and saw a man in a white lab coat. His brow furrowed, his stare drifting away from the man named Tyler Burrow. Tyler welcomed himself in and immediately exuded authority. He grinned ear to ear with the kind of malice only a sadist could manage. Running a hand through his slick black hair, he chuckled. Every word, every movement, all of it was precise, calculated, deliberate. Pride was not the right word. No, arrogance better suited him. Have you had your breakfast? He said, knowing the answer. Ryok pointed to an empty plastic tray on the floor, white like everything else. Perfect, you'll have plenty of energy for today's test then. Tyler reached his hand out. Ryok stared at the spider of wrinkled leather and leapt down from his bed wordlessly. Very well, said Tyler, his grin vanishing without a trace. Procuring a clipboard he had tucked underneath his arm, he pulled a pen out of his coat pocket and scribbled something down. He clicked the pen once more, pocketed it, and tucked the clipboard back where it belonged, beckoning for Ryok to follow. There was a certain bittersweet feeling to these days. On these days, Ryok could explore the compound to a limited degree. He could watch the other men and women, all human of course, working alongside each other in fervor, exchanging ideas, talking numbers. The whirring and buzzing of electronic equipment would fill the air, and unlike his room, vary in pitch and tone from time to time. It was times like this that he remembered that there was in fact a cafeteria, a library, a nurse's room, and yes, even a playroom. A room he and Samantha had been playing in since they were born. A year had passed since they last played together in that room. The longest they had ever gone yet. Ryok wondered briefly if he had been the cause, 
or if they were just too old to be playing anymore. Maybe once you turned ten, you weren't allowed to play anymore. Maybe it was just a matter of time before he became like them. The boy could already hear the pitter-patter of feet barreling toward him. A faint smile crossed his features, and soon she was coming into focus. His friend, his companion, the only person he could ever trust in this cage. Ryok! Hey! Hi! Ryok! It's me! She waved excitedly and stopped just short of running into him. Tyler had flinched. Ryok had not, for he knew there wasn't a chance she would ever hurt him. I missed you. I missed you too, Sam. It was at last time. The parameters had been set. The white coats were tucked away safely in their box of a room. Ryok waited, center stage of the barren, white room. He looked to the LED screen situated at the top half of the room, just against the wall. With his palm outward, a bright flame sparked into life just a few inches away from his hand. It floated harmlessly, awaiting his order. The countdown began, and now he could finally see it. Six consecutive tests. Six was a well-rounded number, a number he didn't often receive. Ryok kept the flame's power right where he had it. He would use what was necessary, providing only flashes of extravagance in the first third quarters of each act. Begin, the voice over the megaphone commanded. A message appeared on the LED screen. Target 12. Three compartments opened up on the floor. Erupting from the holes were a target each. At Ryok's thought, the flame was gone. Ryok swiped through the air as if his forearm was made of metal. A white mist followed and there sat three foot-long spires of ice. With a stare as cold as the spires he willed into being, he extended his arm forward, and the spines shot like bullets. One hit straight on target. The second as well. Ryok's breath caught when the third was off, landed on the second ring. Ryok clicked his tongue, and four more rose from the ground, surrounding him in a circle. They moved around him like a carousel, as if taunting him into an attack. Fire lit in his hands, and spinning on the spot, he created a momentary ring around him, engulfing each target. He stopped for a moment to look into the box where all the coats stood. Many of them impatiently tapped at the ends of their datapads and clipboards, no doubt waiting for the moment he messed up. One took to the pen, and that's when Ryok made up his mind. There was a trick he had been thinking up for some time now. If they weren't talking about him before, they certainly would be now. Looking down in his left hand, he brought his thumb and middle finger together. He could do it. He knew he could. It made sense when he thought about it. He just needed an opportunity to test it. Here was his chance. A moment of doubt clouded him for a moment. Then shoving it aside was a surge of confidence. He raised his left hand so it was level with his face. The scientist drew closer to the only thing protecting them from him. A sheet of multi-proof glass. And with bated breath... They were quivering with anticipation. And then... Ryok snapped his fingers. What happened next couldn't be classified as an explosion, so much as an inferno. Before the coats could even grasp what was happening, black smoke billowed and spread like the wildfire that birthed it. Hurry, turn on the sprinklers! One man demanded. Sprinklers on! Said a man at the commands. The emergency siren activated. Red light filtered through the box room like a heartbeat. Men and women scrambled to get control of the situation. Tyler ran to an emergency water hose in the wall and unrolled as much of it as he could, pointing to the door. Get this damn door open now! I'm trying, sir, I'm trying! 
A man whose fingers were shaking and trembling in fear continued to slip. Tyler grew impatient with the man and dropped his hose to shove him aside. Get out of my way, you imbecile! Tyler pulled a key out from his coat pocket and inserted it into the emergency override. With a swift turn, all lights went green on the command board. Good. Now to... The room had gone silent. All that could be heard was the alarm. No, there was another noise. It was muffled, but just barely audible. The thump of something soft hit the window. Through the clouds was a human shape plastered to the glass. Samantha was in the room with them. She plummeted to her knees, her hands against her mouth, tears in her eyes. No, she choked out. Ryok's clothes were gone, his skin black and pink. A gloss covered what was remaining of his skin. His fingers curled and screeched against the glass, blood pouring out of the cracks of his skin. He trembled against the glass, and with a slow, slippery descent, he slid down to the window, leaving behind a streak of blood. Wide-eyed and wheezing, Tyler looked away and pulled the lever directly to the right of the emergency override. The door slid open, and smoke filled the room instantly. Wasting no time, Tyler ran into the room and flipped a switch to the side of the hose and took aim. The hose clicked, dripped, clicked again, and then nothing. What the fuck is wrong with this hose? He bellowed. A meek voice spoke. The pipes are frozen. You, you can't be... The hose dropped from Tyler's hands with a clink. As the sprinklers continued to do their work, more and more of the smoke was beginning to clear. And with it, Tyler could now see a body face down on the ground. He rushed to the boy's side and cradled the boy's remains in his hands. Someone get a fucking gurney in here now! Right away, came another's voice. We're going to save you, just hang in there. There was so little left of him. Strands of hair poked out of his head like some foreign entity. Somewhere in there he had lost an eye where his hair usually fell. Ryok opened the one eye he still had left. It shook in its sockets. Tyler struggled to explain what he was feeling, struggled to comprehend what Ryok's stare meant, if anything. Gum, Ryok was able to manage. What is it? Tyler brought an ear close. Hate you. I hate you. Ryok shut his eye, his head falling limp to the side. Tyler drew back, turning his hands over. Black and red decorated his palms. There was nothing more to do or to say. Tyler didn't move until the rolling wheels of the gurney reached his ears. Thanks for listening to this episode of Radio. Once again, Drive was written by R.A. Hollitz. You can find him on Twitter at TSilentRhapsody. Radio is recorded, edited, and produced by me, Shay Kuna. And I can be found on Twitter at Shay Kuna. My intro and outro are The Storyteller, written by Lou Claver. Find more of her work at louclaver.bandcamp.com. That's L-O-U-K-L-A-V-E-R. If you like what you heard, please consider telling a friend. If you want your short story read on the show, you can email me at shaykuna at gmail.com. The logo was designed by Emily Cocott. Thanks again.